and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and with me is editor Jeff Schutze. How are you, Jeff? I'm good. Very good. So first off, we just want to share with you guys all of the various events that have been going on in the past couple of weeks because so many things have already happened in 2018. First up, the Annie Awards. They were amazing. It was so cool to be able to volunteer and I want to give a shout out to Frank Gladstone and Annette O'Neill and Gil and all of the other wonderful volunteers that we worked with. We had a blast. It was awesome. It was so, so fun. And the show was very well organized this year. It was very enjoyable. Jeff, what did you think about the show? Uh. I had a blast. This was my first year there. Thank you so much for getting me on the list to volunteer. Absolutely. Uh, I just had such a great time. I got to meet so many cool people. Got to hang around like, I mean, Glenn Keane. Yeah. John Musker. Yeah. I, I had no idea I'd be talking to them and just kind of like shooting the breeze with them. Like talking about... Just random stuff, you know? Jorge Gutierrez was really cool. Just the entire event was just kind of felt like I was just kind of tripping through a dream the whole time, you know? (laughs) (laughs) This is true. It's a very cool experience. This was my fourth year of volunteering, and every year I enjoy it more and more. You know, because the first year you're just trying to figure out what's going on and what to do, and you're just kind of floored by the fact that all of your heroes are right there, just right in front of you. Mm -hmm. And what I love about our industry, which I have to tell all of you, having worked in reality television Mm -hmm. and having worked in publishing and IT, animation's special. There are no other industries like the animation industry. And yes, it's very hard to get into. The majority of people are really cool. There are a handful of people, not so much because people are people, but for the most part, this is the most welcoming, interesting, weirdest community of people that I have ever encountered in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I love it. It's fantastic. I mean, the fact that Glenn Keane was just standing there by the bar, (laughs) hanging out, and he was so kind and generous with his time to every single person Mm -hmm. who came up to him. And believe us when we tell you, everyone came up to him. Oh, yeah. Because he is Glenn Keane. Yeah. And he was so nice, and he was telling us stories about one of the first animated projects he ever did as a student and how terrible it was. And none of us believed him. And he insisted that it was terrible. And you're thinking, but no, how could this be? And he goes, no, no, it was quite bad. And so it was just very encouraging to hear, oh, you're not born a master. You have to work towards this. You have to work really hard and just believe in yourself and find other people that believe in you and just keep working at it until you can get to that level. And it's really cool to know that that's an achievable goal, but that is not impossible. Right. It's not just a magical thing that you've been granted at birth. It's something you can work toward. Right. Because a lot of times, you know, you meet your heroes or you see the DVD extras and whatnot, and you think, oh, these ideas just spring forth out of them, like out of Zeus's head comes forth gods and goddesses. And no, Mm -hmm. that's not 
how it works. Yes, there is such a thing as inborn talent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there is such a thing as talent. There is such a thing as innate skill. But talent and skill are worthless if you're not practicing. Right. And what Glenn was telling us is that you just need to work at this. You just work at it. Mm-hmm. And you can eventually get there, which was very cool to hear him say oh, that. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then also just shout out to Jorge Gutierrez, who is an absolute delightful <laughs> human being and so fun and so yeah. funny and so cool with yeah. his Lucha Libra mask. I love it. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome taking pictures with him with the mask on. And at the Annie Awards, he was presenting with that mask on. And I told him, I was like, you know, you came out, you presented one of the awards, and then I thought, okay, that's it, the mask is coming off. But no, you kept that mask on the entire time, and he's like, yeah, that mask wasn't coming off. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and just, you know, it was just really cool, and I want to give a shout to Loud House. You know, we were nominated, we lost out, but we lost out to Samurai Jack. So I feel like, right. well, you know what? Samurai Jack's pretty awesome, Loud House is pretty awesome, so if we're going to lose to somebody... That's not a bad show right, to lose right, out to. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, hey, better luck for next year. But it was really cool to be nominated. And it was cool to see so many Nickelodeon people. Yeah. Speaking of Nickelodeon, Tom Kenny winning the award. Congratulations, Tom. You are a delight. And also him presenting the Windsor McKay Award mm-hmm. to Steven Hillenburg, oh, yeah. who has meant so much to so many people who is essentially at this point the bedrock of Nickelodeon, you know, 20 years strong Spongebob. So congratulations to everyone on the Spongebob team, but also to Steven. You know, you're an inspiration to so many of us. Mm. So many of us grew up watching Spongebob. So many of us have grown up just with this show and everything that has come forth from it. So just thank you very much for all of your contributions to everything. Yeah. Yeah. That was a nice little segment of the Annie Awards when Mm -hmm. all that happened. It was really good. Yeah, and I love that everybody stood for him. Yes. Which is fantastic. Uh-huh. You know, that's just And he was so, so cool. shy and didn't, you know. Yeah, but, the, but you could tell. He just wanted to sit there. But you and, could you see know. him on screen and you yeah. could tell that he was just soaking it in. It's uh-huh. like, oh, that's so delightful. And you got to stamp his hand. I did. And I didn't even realize. <laughs> yeah, afterwards, I'm like, so you know that was Stephen Hilbert. Huh? And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that was, a, it was really nice to see. Yeah, so just congratulations to all the winners. Congratulations to all of the nominees, because mm-hmm. just getting nominated too. And congratulations again to former guest Alex Kwan, who was nominated for Storyboards for Nico and The Sword of Light. Congratulations on your nomination, Alex. That is a huge deal. We're very proud of you, and it was very good to see you at the show. Now, Oscar nominations. Woo! Woo. What animated movies are currently nominated? Let's see. The Oscar noms this year are Boss Baby, The Breadwinner, Coco, Ferdinand, and Loving Vincent. All right. Who do you think's going to win? Well, <laughs> if the Annie's are any, you know, it's going to be Coco. It's going to be Coco. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much a shoe. I mean, Golden Globe. And did they win the yeah. Golden Globe or was that the Breadwinner that won the Golden Globe? I think it did win the Golden Globe. All yeah. right, so we'll, we'll double check on that. Yeah. But let's just say, so Coco won Golden Globe. Coco pretty much swept the Annie's. Yeah. They will win the Academy Award. And I think deservedly so. I very, you know, people enjoy the movie a mm-hmm. lot. But I really like The Breadwinner. I do. Mm. That is, I think it's a very solid film. 
I think it's a very important film. It's very well made. All the kudos in the world to Cartoon Saloon for making a beautiful, poignant, very deep story that's still resonating now, which it actually makes me sad to say that, you know, the story about war and how it affects families and children and different things that people are having to go through in Afghanistan. It's sad that they're having to go through so much pain and torment. But I'm really glad that there's movies and books and whatnot that are showcasing that and highlighting what's going on. Mm-hmm. And to have it be an animated movie yeah. on top of that is right. very impressive. Because that's not, it's not the kind of movie that would get made in the United States. Mm. So I'm proud of everything that I've seen in that movie. And, you know, I hope it gets into wide release again. And I hope that more people can go and see it. Yeah, I still need to see it. But I think it's great that it's being recognized by, through all these awards shows and mm-hmm. stuff. Because I don't know if I would know about it, except I keep hearing about it because of its nominations. So, And I really want to see it. Same here, same here. And because of the nominations, that's how I heard about it. And then they had a screening at Nick, and the director came and talked about it. And they talked about oh, nice. the production, and they had clips of here's how we made the movie, here's the voice actors that we got to watch. And I mean, people were in tears at the mm. end of that movie. I mean, you're watching it and you're just going, ah. I mean, it just, it, it tugs at you because, yeah. I mean, it's, the story is fictional, but the situations are not. Mm. And so to watch something like that where you know, this is actually happening to people and there is no resolution yet, really hard and I feel like they did a a beautiful job with that so hopefully they'll win something if not like an independent award at the Oscars some type of recognition and then there's other Oscar nominated movies too like some of the live action ones but we'll get into that later in the what we've been watching segment so also something that just recently happened this past Thursday if that would have been uh February 8th was Loop de Loop, which took place over at the Los Angeles Independent, which is a fantastic theater. I recommend that all of y'all go and visit that if you have an opportunity. So Loop de Loop is an international animation challenge, and it takes place in Sydney and Tel Aviv and London and Los Angeles and New York and several other places, I believe. And it's a free event, and basically what you do is you submit a looping animation anywhere from five seconds 10 seconds a minute and they always have a theme and then you go you get to watch all of them there's delightful snacks that you can buy from the concession stand and sometimes they have judges and this week they had the creator of bojack horseman uh, rafael bob waxberg and they also had lisa hannawalt who's the production designer several of the directors and it was Fantastic. The theme was bug. So anything you could do with bug, whether that was bugging a person or insects or whatnot. And all of the shorts ranged from super funny to super poignant to weird to people scratching their heads going, I don't understand what I just (laughs) saw. There were several of those that were very interesting, but you could hear the slow clap of people going, what? <laughs> what exactly was happening there? But it was really cool, and I want to give a shout-out to Raj, who formerly of Nickelodeon, now working over on Forever 12. He won. He won a t-shirt, nice. and he won a signed poster. 
So cool. it was really cool. And if any of you had a chance to go and you're really into it, or if you didn't have a chance to go but you want to go next time, their next screening is going to be in April. And the deadline for submitting mm-hmm. an, a looping animated short is going to be March 25th at 11.30 p.m. in whatever time zone you live in. And the theme this time around will be myth. Nice. So anything with a myth, whatever that means to you, submit it you know it might end up on their website it might get screened in la and if it gets screened you may be able to win a prize and this time around the judges will be the fine folks working on unikitty so if you want to meet some of the folks that work on unikitty submit a short so that maybe if you win you can shake their hand and get your photo taken with them and say hey by the way i love whatever it is that you guys will be doing soon yeah no that's cool I wrote that date down because I'm thinking about submitting something. Do it! Yeah. You should totally do it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what my schedule's like. But I've always loved those little loop-de-loop animations. You know, I've always mm-hmm. wanted to do one, and this would be a perfect you know, thing to do, I think. Are you going to yeah. try and do one? I'm going to try to do it. How I'm going to do it, I have no idea. I know. Because I was sitting in the theater, and they said, you know, we're going to have another one. It's due in March. And I could... That feeling Mm -hmm. in the inside of me went, hey, Angela, you should do this. The thought, yeah, but I have all these other projects I'm doing. And they said, the theme is myth. And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Why have you done this to me? It's such a a beautiful theme. So I really want to do it. Yeah. We'll We'll, we'll, We'll see what I have two months. Yeah. We'll see what happens. If something inspires me, you know, just Mm -hmm. leaps into my head, then I'll do it. But yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Time. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're hoping. So all of you out there who are thinking about it, all of you should try too. And let yeah. us know if you do it. Yeah. Let us know if you guys do it because it would be really cool to like highlight people. Mm-hmm. And then next up, ah, this, is, this makes us sad. Proud but sad. We want to give a shout out to the Animation Network. Yeah. We love the Animation Network. We have mentioned the Animation Network mm-hmm. numerous times in the show. We've been to all of the mixers. Yeah. Chris and Jeff and Ciara and Cassie are amazing, amazing people. We love them. Their show will be coming to an end mm-hmm. at episode 100. Yeah. It makes us very sad because yeah. it's like, it's like uh, they're like the cool older brother, cool <laughs> older sister. Of animation podcasts, you know, it's like they're going off to college. Yeah. And then, you know, going off to work and we'll still get to hang out with them, but it's it's not going to be quite the same. Yeah, it does feel like kind of a end of an era or something. Mm -hmm. Like a hundred shows, too. That's an incredible feat. That is amazing, because, I mean, you and I, we listen to a lot of different podcasts, not Mm -hmm. just about animation, and a lot of podcasts end at 20 or 30 and that's not to throw shade at other podcasts because podcasting's hard you know it's a hard thing to do so the fact that they got to triple digits or will be getting there this year is an amazing feat and the quality was consistent every time and the guests were great every single time Yeah, you know I've learned so much and we've gotten to meet a lot of the guests and they're all really amazing people and a lot of them have gone on to do even bigger and better things than when they were initially interviewed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I feel like 
it was one of the things that really got me to believe I could make it in the animation industry. Because I've always wanted to do it, and I've kind of put feelers out to try and get there. But it wasn't until I started listening to Chris's podcast that I was like, you know what? I can do this. And, you know, listening to Jeff Sornig's interview mm-hmm. and so many people's interview that I'm now friends with, it's like, wow, you know, even those mixers, I met so many people. We reconnected during mm-hmm. the mixer. I met so many people who are now friends that, man, I'm really sad to see this, to see the podcast go. I am too. And I know that they're all going on to bigger and better things. Mm-hmm. I know that you know, Chris has a new job, which is yeah, amazing. And they're all Congrats. going off to do just amazing, cool things. And we're very proud of everybody mm-hmm. that's been involved. And we want to give a shout out to Jeff, too, Jeff Sordig, because like yeah. you said, his podcast interview was extremely inspiring to me because mm-hmm. having listened to someone who had a previous career, was living out of state, yeah. went to art school, got an internship, got into Nickelodeon, that helped me out a great deal because, yeah. like Jeff, I'm not in my twenties. So yeah, to neither. hear some, you know, so, neither <laughs> you. So so to hear someone who's like us essentially, yeah. who had a career, had a life, mm-hmm. had roots elsewhere, and then was able to then pivot and go into that career, yeah. that helped me so much. Oh yeah. And Jeff recently ended his stint at Nickelodeon and. We miss him already. It's been like yeah. a week. It hasn't been very long at all. And, you know, it's tough. It's weird not seeing him in the hall. So, yeah. Yeah. I totally miss him, but he'll be back, I'm sure. He's Absolutely. so talented. He's got so much going for him. And, you know, he's he really is an inspiration because he shows that if you have the drive, you can come out here and make it happen. Absolutely. You know? And he did it. I mean, he went to every event mm-hmm. and he's helped out so many people. And he does fantastic art. So this is not the last that we will see of Jeff. Jeff, we miss you, buddy. And we look forward to your return one day. Yes. We'll have to have a drink when you get back. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) And speaking of amazing people that we really admire, I want to give a shout out to previous guests on the show, Steve On. Steve is, as I think every one of you out there know, He was a director on the new Voltron. He's storyboarded for shows like Ben 10 and Korra and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And now he has a fantastic Kickstarter campaign going on for his own personal animated mystery miniseries that he's created, Blossom Detective Holmes. And it has already reached its Kickstarter goal. Oh, wow. Which is absolutely fantastic. And... You guys can still support it. You can still support it. You can still support what Steve is doing. It promises to be an amazing show. So I highly recommend you guys go and check that out. And we'll have a link in the show notes so that you can go and see it. Cool. I'll support anything he does. Yeah. Everything, <laughs> He's pretty amazing. Everything that he does is like absolute gold. And yeah. also, he is, not even kidding, one of the most humble, kindest people that I have ever met. I mean, talking with him, you just think, you just want to be a better person. Not just a better artist, but just a better person. Because he cares about his family, he supports 
orphaned children in other countries. You're just wow. like, what What do you not do? So he's just an amazing person. And also, I want to let you guys know that he's actually going to be teaching a free workshop over at the California Theater of the Performing Arts on Saturday, February 24th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. It's called Directing Animation and Storyboards with Steve on, and you can find the information on Eventbrite, and again, we'll have links for that. But I'm gonna go. I believe, Jeff, you might be able to go too. We have a couple mutual friends that are going, so if you guys are in California, or better yet, if you've always wanted to come to California, and you've been wondering, when should I come to Cali? (laughs) Come for this. Come for his workshop. Learn from the master. He knows of what he speaks. Yeah, that should be awesome. And also want to give a shout out to previous guest Alice Twos. Many of you remember Alice as the amazing person who won the Student Academy Award. She now has a Patreon for her webcomic Didi in 3D. And it's a really fun comic. It's basically about this little girl named Didi and she lives in a world where everybody has an avatar. And so you can have this really cool, awesome projection of yourself if you choose. You don't have to have one, but the people that don't have one, they're kind of seen as like weirdos. So (laughs) it's a really good, really poignant, really sweet comic. I like it a lot. You guys can check it out on Instagram. But support our Patreon because as all of you out there know, art is hard. Yeah, It's hard to create good work. It's hard to create your own personal work. It's hard to keep everything sustainable. And Alice has already done a complete issue one. She's currently working on issue two. So check it out, support her on Patreon. It's a really good way to give back to the artistic community that we're all a part of. And that brings us to what we've been watching. So Jeff, what have you been watching? Uh, Well, one of the first things I've been watching is Devilman Crybaby on Netflix. I just finished it, I think this past weekend, and I'm really, I loved it. It's extremely bloody and violent. Yay! Yay for violence and action. <laughs> yeah, and I really, you know, you have to give it a few episodes. Like, if you're going to watch it, give it a few episodes before you decide if you're going to like it or not. And I thought the ending was really good, but now I've talked to some people on Facebook and some of my friends, and they've said I should go check out the original manga and the original anime, because they said the ending's even more impactful than those two, the originals. So I like the ending, but I'm going to check it out in the originals and see if it's better. I want to check that out too, because... I like those types of stories. Like, mm-hmm. I like, this sounds weird to say this, I like violence. Not in real life, <laughs> right, obviously. No, I don't yeah. want anyone in real life to get hurt. But I like gritty things. Like, I like mm-hmm. gritty shows and gritty movies and yeah. war movies and, like, really tough stuff. And yeah. I love animation and I love Nickelodeon and I love children's medium, but that's mm-hmm. not the kind of thing that we do. So it's really nice to, you know, go home and watch something a little bit different once in a while. Yeah. So that sounds really cool. This is definitely different. And, you know, I was watching an episode before I go to bed at night and do not do that because I was was having some crazy dreams. I was going to say, that sounds like a really bad idea. Right before I nod off to bed, let me watch this thing that's intense with blood and gore. (laughs) Nothing bad can come from that. (laughs) But yeah, really good. Check it out if it's your thing. That reminds me, I used to watch Blood Plus. 
And I remember I used to watch it while I ate dinner or oh. ate lunch. <laughs> and after a while, I realized I can't eat and watch this at the same time. This is not a good idea. <laughs> oh, man. And then I've also, I just watched Godzilla, Planet of the Monsters, which is a CG version of Godzilla. Huh. Yeah, How was that? That's on Netflix as well. It was good. It's kind of a deviation from the normal Godzilla destroying Tokyo and stuff. It actually takes place in the future. I don't want to give that much away because it's part one of three. Hmm. But there are spaceships and aliens and yeah, it's a really interesting take on Godzilla. I don't know if I give it an enthusiastic thumbs up, but it's kind of a tentative thumbs up. Probably dependent on whether the, the part two and part three are good. Because this one is kind of a setup. And by the end, I was really kind of excited to see where it's going to go. But it kind of took a long time to get there. Is it a series or is it a movie? Uh, it's a series of movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a series of movies. Okay. Well, I think it's, yeah, it's going to be in three parts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was, I think, two hours long. Okay. Maybe 90 minutes. Yeah. That's not bad. It's a movie. But yeah, so tentative thumbs up. Give it a try. See if you like it. Okay. I like Godzilla. I like the original mm-hmm. one. So. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm a Godzilla fan, so yeah. I wasn't sure how to feel about this one. I'm still not sure. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen, you know, the original Japanese Godzilla, which mm-hmm. I love. I saw the weird Matthew Broderick movie, which I loved at the time. Not so much now. And I saw the, the uh, recent one they had a few years back with the kid from Kick-Ass. And oh, yeah. That one irritated me. <laughs> I was not impressed. I like Moto. Moto was cool, right. but I'm like, but this isn't a Moto movie. This is a Godzilla movie, but why is there more Moto than Godzilla? Right. Oh, look, it's Godzilla, but he's not fighting in the dark. Ah, yeah, so. there's lots of smoke in the air. I can't really see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't as happy with that Godzilla as mm-hmm. a lot of people seem to be. Yeah, I noticed a lot of people are like, yeah, this is great. And I'm like, is it? <laughs> opinions on that that's that's pretty good uh so yeah that's pretty much what i've been watching all right cool and what i've been watching is three billboards over ebbing Mm. missouri this movie is fantastic it is one of the best movies i have ever seen and i do not say that lightly it's a great movie it is so well written so well directed. The cinematography is beautiful. Frances McDormand needs to win an Academy Award, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. does Sam Rockwell, as does Woody Harrelson. It is such a good movie. It is very dark yeah. and very funny. It's rated R. It's not, you know, I know we have younger listeners out there. It's a great movie for when you are of age to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is our that is our parental disclaimer as two people who aren't parents but you know you know we care about you guys out there but it's a really solid movie you guys so absolutely recommend it enthusiastic two thumbs up for that i agree it's definitely my favorite to win the oscar this year Mm -hmm. um yeah i loved it agree with everything you said the acting the directing the cinematography all beautiful the script beautiful yeah i'm Sad that the director didn't get nominated. I have for an no Academy idea Award. how that happens. I, yeah. I don't understand this. It's like everything. How is it that you can nominate a film for everything, but oh. not nominate 
It's like you're nominating the ship, but you're not nominating the captain of the right. ship. No, the ship just got there by itself. We yeah. don't need the captain there. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, and it was such a difficult movie. In the hands of someone else, it might not have come together as well as it did. But he really made this an incredible movie. So many incredible parts, but he really put them together so well. I don't know how he didn't get nominated. I don't know either, but I have a lot of thoughts on the Academy, so... <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, with that, who knows? But it is a very good movie, guys. Mm -hmm. Go and watch it. It's fantastic. And also got to see Early Man. They had a screening for that through SIFA this past Friday over at Harmony Gold Theater. And Nick Park and the animation directors Merlin Crossingham and Will Betcher were all there. And they did a Q&A with Charles Sullivan. And it was really cute. Oh, cool. Yeah, the whole premise of the movie is... Basically, how man discovered soccer or football, <laughs> which I hadn't seen a whole lot about the movie, so I didn't really know what it was about. No. And it's about the origins of football. Really? And it was really funny. It was That's really awesome. good. And Eddie Redmayne is mm-hmm. the voice of the lead character. Oh, okay. And it's the best Eddie Redmayne movie I've ever seen him in, because I've only seen him in three. And the last thing I saw him in was Jupiter Ascending. Which is a funny movie, but not on purpose. Oh, no. (laughs) So, Jupiter, you know, it's one of those movies where it's not a good movie, Mm -hmm. but it's very enjoyable because it's really goofy. There's a lot of odd things about it, but the score is fantastic because it's Michael Giacchino. Mm -hmm. It's one of those movies that that music deserves to be in a better movie because if it was in a better movie more people would hear it because he's great like everything he does is great Hmm. but yeah early man go check it out yeah i (laughs) too have not seen anything about this movie i haven't seen a trailer i haven't seen anything i saw something on a probably an animation website or something about it but yeah i had no idea it was about Soccer. I football. did not either. The reason I knew about it was because of Sifa. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Sifa, or else uh-huh. I wouldn't know anything about this oh, movie cool. either. Yeah, it's stop motion and CG. Mm. It's both. Oh. And it's cool. They blend them so well together that as you're watching it, you can't tell what's what. It's really mm. difficult to tell what is stop motion and what is CG in this movie. They work together so well. So mm. it's really cool. So, you know, support yeah. support Ardman. Ardman makes great things, yeah. you know? Support stop motion, support your fellow animators, go and see it. If yeah. it's playing in a theater near you. And if it's not, I don't know, protest? Write, write a petition? Get, get <laughs> Is them it coming to... out soon? Another great question <laughs> that I cannot answer for you. I yeah. don't know. Because huh. I know what's coming out soon is Black Panther, because that's everywhere. Oh, yeah. So that's coming out. Yeah. But, yeah. So I'm sure we'll, we'll have lots of thoughts on that, too. Cool. But yeah, so that is what's going on. So thank you guys for listening to our intro. That could almost be its own episode. Just all the different... There's a lot. We went long on we, this we one. We went long on this one. But that's because there's a lot of things going on. You know, there's a lot of things. And there's even more events happening. And just make sure to check out the website and the show notes for all the other things that are going on. Because there's quite a bit the really cool thing is in the springtime there's just a lot of different events and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things and again i say it facetiously kind of but if you're thinking about coming out to la and coming out to visit this is a good time to come out to visit because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different events and there's a chance for you to meet a lot of people get your portfolio reviewed 
If you're almost done with school and you're trying to figure out, should I move to L.A.? Do it. If you can, do it. You mm-hmm. know, Absolutely. get a bunch of roommates and work at Ralph's, which is our local grocery store. For those that don't know, Kroger, for those of you down south. <laughs> and um, do what you need to do. But now is a good time to be out here. And speaking of awesome things all around, we have a great guest this week, Lauren Krieger, who is a storyboard revisionist on Nickelodeon's hit animated show, Shimmer and Shine, was our guest. What did you think of Lauren's interview? I thought she was great. She gave a lot of really awesome uh, information that you don't always get about the process, about how you go from a PA to getting your foot in the door for, say, a revisionist or something. I thought it was really enlightening. I did, too. And I like that she talks about it, because revisionist is sometimes... It's sometimes the job that's forgotten. People think that you go directly into storyboarding, or they think, PA, and then storyboard. There, There is an in-between. Mm-hmm. And the in-between is a great job in and of itself Mm -hmm. and you learn so much because you're working on other people's boards and what i also liked about lauren's story was that she talks a lot about what it's like working in preschool because preschool is very different from 6 to 11 which Mm -hmm. is the age bracket that i'm working in versus the age bracket you're usually working in which Mm -hmm. is like what like 18 to like 30 is around the age bracket of yours and then beyond and You know, there's different sets of rules. There's a lot more rules. There's a lot more things that you have to adhere to that can be challenging, but also can be fun when you're trying to figure out workarounds. Mm -hmm. And she's so excited about that demographic, too, which is fun to hear. Absolutely. So, without further ado, very pleased to present episode 64, Interview with Lauren Krieger. My guest today is Lauren Krieger. Lauren is the storyboard revisionist on Nickelodeon Shimmer and Shine. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an honor. (laughs) I'm very excited because you've worked on a lot of cool shows here at Nickelodeon. You've interned at a lot of awesome places and you did a short film called Dog Prom. (laughs) We're going to talk about that because it is adorable. (laughs) But I always like to start off with where people are from. So Lauren, where are you from? I'm from Edina, Minnesota, which is a suburb of the Twin Cities. Pretty much a city kid growing up, but in the Midwest. Excellent. And there are quite a few people here from Michigan and Minnesota and various Midwest states. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's so true. (laughs) Everyone migrated over. So tell me, growing up in Minnesota, what were some of your artistic influences? Well, being a 90s kid, I grew up with, you know, animation renaissance with all the great Disney films and also a lot of great TV. And I didn't have cable growing up, so I wasn't really exposed to any of like the Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network stuff. Even like Disney TV had a lot of great stuff that was on ABC Family. So that's kind of what ingrained me into animation and art. And then also being around a bunch of friends and family who are also super into animation and just good stories in general. That's great. What were some of your favorite stories? Oh, Lion King. I was full on Lion King. (laughs) was not a princess girl at all. Like all about the animals. So like pretty much any animal story, but Lion King by far was king. I love it. We're starting with the puns. This is good. My roommate would be so proud. <laughs> Shout out to Kim Hedo. 
How did you decide, you know what, I not only love watching animation, I want to be a part of this process? That actually is a little bit of a longer journey, even though my love for animation started off from a very young age. I'm kind of the person who loves learning in general, so in school I was never like the kid who drew, even though I was drawing on the side of my notebook all the time. I still love learning about science and English and just everything. And I also didn't realize that animation was a job you could do until I was 16. Just the synapses in my brain never connected like oh people do this slash this is a job which is in part because like live in the midwest where no one does this so just didn't realize that was an opportunity but then in high school I this is super nerdy back to Lion King but (laughs) I started uploading my own fan art to lionkingfanart.org and kind of learned through there that some people were applying to schools like Ringling and whatnot and just kind of got exposed to animation being a possibility so that's kind of what led me initially towards animation but it wasn't until the end of college where I was like, yes, animation is my path and passion in life. All right, so tell us where you went to college the first time. Oh yeah, so I went to college slash undergrad at a small private school in Minnesota called Northwestern College, which they went through a name change. So I think it's like University of Northwestern St. Paul now, but it's a small private Christian liberal arts school. And although I had applied to a few art schools at the end of high school, I just wasn't completely sure if I for sure wanted to pursue art. Just because I loved learning about so many different subjects. So I wanted to go somewhere where I could do art, but also like if it turned out that was more of a hobby for me, there are other options. While in art school, I'd be kind of locked into like all they have to offer is different art degrees. So that's kind of what led me towards that path. Plus I got a substantial scholarship, so that helped too. And at Northwestern, they had both an animation program and a very strong studio art program. So while I was there, besides doing all my liberal arts classes, I double majored in both their fledgling animation program and then their studio art program. So I kind of split my time both doing studio art and animation until my senior year where, you know, you have a bunch of thesis projects essentially and your time is compressed. You kind of realize what you truly love and what you truly are and animation ended up winning out. And I just discovered through that process that I love storytelling and I love animation at the end of undergrad, I was like, okay, this is my path, but now how do I get there? And how did you get there? So luckily, going through the studio art program at Northwestern, they very much focused on getting a master's just because in the studio art realm, a lot of people get their master's so that they can teach at various colleges and whatnot. So that's what kind of led me towards thinking more of a master's degree. On top of that, just from being in the Midwest, I was like, okay, if I'm going to pursue animation, I should probably go to school like where the heart of it so that I can have more opportunities and jobs. So, and that meant going to LA, which, you know, from never leaving the Midwest seemed like a big and scary thing. And I'm very logical. So I was like, what if I don't like living there? I went the master's route just because it gave me the animation education. And then on top of that, at the end of the day, if I hated LA, it would give me the backup of having a master's degree so that I could teach at a college wherever. That's kind of the path that I led towards. After undergrad, I took a year off in between undergrad and going to getting my master's at UCLA. And during my year off, I did an insane amount of research. What I tell everyone is like, Google is your best friend. So I did literally like all the research of every single master's program out there in animation and created a whole list of like pros and cons of all of them, ranging from cost, what professors teach there, what students have gone on to do. And then through that kind of just ended up at UCLA because they had a good reputation, good program, good professors. And then the cost wasn't the equivalent 
equivalent of like a medical school cost. So because at the end of the day, we're working in animation. You're not going to make I mean, some people make what doctors make, but not majority of people, even though the pay is very good out here. So and we've mentioned that on the show before <laughs> as well. The high cost of higher education, the fact that, well, you could go to art school or you could become a doctor. And sometimes you look at that cost and you go, oh, that is extremely prohibitive. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to hear and I hear this from a lot of the other guests, too, that the amount of research that you put into it to find out this is the best place for me. Especially for pursuing a master's, which isn't 100% necessary for going in animation. There's people here who like haven't even gone to school and they're doing great. So that's why I was like, okay, got to be cost effective about that. Not cost effective because like you still want a quality school, but you just kind of have to do your research, know what you want out of your degree. I don't know. That's kind of my philosophy of stuff. So that's a good philosophy. (laughs) So what was your time at UCLA like? Uh, UCLA was good. It was so exciting to, you know, finally spend 100% of my time on animation. And that's it. And first year was like surreal being out here. UCLA is near the ocean. And as you know, all the studios are in Burbank, which is on the east side. So I would drive from UCLA over towards the east side because the zoo's over here to draw and drive past Nickelodeon and Disney. And it was especially coming from the Midwest. It's like, what? These are real places and buildings. <laughs> it's so weird now because now I like walk in and work here. I'm like, whatever. It's so the normal. <laughs> But yeah, the first year was really great. And with UCLA's school, uh, or at least their animation program, they really expose you to everything. Their motto is one person, one film. So the program's three years, and you have to create a film every year on top of taking a bunch of different classes that expose you to the whole process. So I definitely came out of UCLA really understanding how to come up with a concept and then bring it to fruition. And then on top of that, we had to take different types of classes to like interactive animation, because TV animation and feature are not the only options for animations. They had a bunch of different electives and stuff you could take. But I will say on the flip side, you pursue this dream that's so like, oh, I'm chasing it and whatnot. But definitely coming from a smaller pond in Minneapolis and then being thrown in with a bunch of talented people, that definitely kind of like shook me a little bit. And the first year was really great. But I did go through some anxiety and depression about like, you know, my self-worth as an artist while I was at UCLA. And that's something I kind of struggled with. And then once you start talking about that with people, People, you realize that's very common among the art world and it's good to talk about. So that was one struggle I had while at UCLA and, you know, just like getting more confident in myself as an artist, kind of work through that. It was both good, but also like some internal struggles too. Good that you mentioned that because <laughs> I had that as well, as do I believe every artist yeah. I've ever met. I know Even... once you start talking about it, you're like, oh wow, everyone has it. So then you don't feel quite as, not bad, but you're like, okay, this is normal. I don't feel like in this bottom pit of despair because I'm the only one feeling this, so... Absolutely. Yeah, talking is great. <laughs> well, you realize it's a common thing because you look at people that you admire, especially people that have created shows or directors mm-hmm. or art directors or just been in the industry for a long time, and you think, well, surely they never feel anxiety. And you talk to them, and they say, oh, no, they feel anxiety all the time. Not only do they get used to it, but they recognize it and go, I know what this is. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to let it prevent me from getting in the way of what I want to do. It almost seems like 
like, and this is more of an extreme example, but what was that movie with Russell Crowe where he had schizophrenia? A Beautiful Mind. Oh, and yeah. Spoilers if you haven't seen this movie that's over a decade old, but go and see it. He has schizophrenia, and once he gets on medication and therapy, it never goes away, and he's still seeing things, but he's still able to do his work. And that's a more extreme example, but I feel like art is a lot of yeah. that, too, where you recognize, oh, yes, I'm nervous. Okay. But then you keep doing your work, mm-hmm. even though it's kind of off to the side. Yeah, and it's kind of like a double-edged sword. I think for a lot of people, like, that stems from, you know, just being critical mm-hmm. of your work, which you need to, because second, you have, like, an ego. That's <laughs> at least what, how I feel like, I'm doing really great. That's when my directors come in, they're like, so you have a ton of stuff to work on. <laughs> you need to be self-critical, but part of the artistic journey, besides just learning how to get better at your skill, is also learning, like, that fine balance of finding confidence in your work, but also, you know, knowing how to self-critique without it destroying you. Mm-hmm. So, which never goes away. <laughs> yeah. It's basically you being able to say, this is good, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Versus, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing I've ever <laughs> seen. I can't draw. Why did they let me in the building? You yeah. I want to go down. It's not that fun. Road, that road is in tears. Yeah. It's not a good road. Laying on the floor being like, why did I think I could do this? Yeah, so. <laughs> which has happened to everyone. So all of you out there, you are not alone. How did you deal with that in school? Was it just the more you talked with people and the more classes you took, you just developed that confidence? Or did you read books on it? Like, how did you deal with all of that? That started after, like, my first year after my film screened and I put my heart and soul into it and it got a very lukewarm reception. It just, like, really shook me. And it's kind of the thing where you don't at first realize what's happening and then all of a sudden you're, like, in this pit of despair. For me, at least, I was like, okay, if I work even harder, then I can get better and that will help it out. But I wasn't... I ultimately it ended up being, like, talking with my roommate about it and just opening up about that and just hearing that. Like, she struggles with that, too. It wasn't necessarily me working as harder as I could. That seemed to, like, sink me even deeper because I just got so obsessed with that, how inadequate I was. We always have things to learn, but you can't twist it Mm -hmm. so that see yourself as worthless. So... Luckily, I have a really awesome roommate. Her name's Kimberly Mills. She's a storyboard artist at DreamWorks. And just talking with her about stuff that she was going through and opening up and then just kind of realizing that was that first thing, like, okay, this is kind of normal. And then on top of that, going through it for a year, I was like, okay, I'm working hard, but I need to kind of specify things. Instead of just like working hard in general, just specifying, I need to get better at figure drawing, you know, just getting like specific little goals. And then I started taking classes at the Animation Guild just because what I was getting at UCLA, we had figure drawing once a week with a really great professor but that wasn't enough for the amount that I needed to learn so just finding teachers and classes that could supplement things and then on top of that I'm for sure getting my internship at Nickelodeon just helped a lot with just confidence being like okay I made it because I think in part two when you move across the country or like really go after a big goal and dream some of that anxiety too is like what if I don't make it and I had a huge goal of trying to get a job straight out of college so getting that internship too kind of helped level out the confidence so it was kind of like a mix of things all at once so that's excellent and we'll talk about all of your internships but I do want to talk about your film oh yeah I really like your film <laughs> thank As you I mentioned up top she made three films first one was dog prom I love dog prom I really like dogs I like prom and I love the 80s right and you had all Can't go three wrong. <laughs> in one film and 
Can you describe it for those who may not have seen it or who will be watching it after they hear this interview? Oh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, you covered a lot of it. Dogs prom in the 80s. It's about this little Boston Terrier who he just wants to go dance with a girl at the prom, but he's just overly aggressive about it. So he kind of turns off all the girls and then he ends up finding someone who is equally ready to dance with him. So it's a very, like, 80s short film. Plus, can't go wrong with dogs and, like, prom attire. So... Mm Yeah, and it kind of stemmed from, my family has Boston Terriers, and they're known as America's Gentlemen, because it looks like they're wearing a little tuxedo. So when it came to making our first year film, I just kind of thought about that, like, huh, Boston Terriers, tuxedos, prom. (laughs) And then, like, also how poodles, when they have their, you know, couture cut, how that's very, like, 80s-esque. So kind of just stream of consciousness through that way. Mm -hmm. And I also like it, too, because I've seen that guy at (laughs) dances and at clubs. You see the guy, he just wants to dance and he gets shut down Mm -hmm. (laughs) by everyone. I have shut that guy down. Oh, no, you are too much. And you watch it, and I saw it, and like, oh, I've never seen it from the other point of view. All he wants to do is dance. Yeah, he's not a gross guy. (laughs) No, and you feel so bad for him. You go, oh, this poor little dude. He just wants to dance. And so it's exciting when at the end he's about to leave, and the girl goes, no. I want to dance too. And they just both dance. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it was really fun to make. It was definitely a passion project. Or not passion, but put a lot of my heart and soul into it. And I still like how it turned out. But definitely have grown a lot since that film too. I like the color palette too because I like how you differentiated the rest of the dogs there. It's like, these are all in the background and these are not the ones you want to focus on. You want to focus on this little guy over here. Oh yeah, well, that's all thanks to Chris Applehans who is this amazing visual development artist. He taught at an adjunct class for a Um, while we were developing our films just about how to create color cues and whatnot for your film um, and also just strong composition all thanks to him I learned so much from him and that film looks immensely better than what it could have been without his knowledge in that class fantastic and let's talk about your other two films because what I like about your films is they're all very different that can be a hard thing to do in school a lot of times in school a lot of student films even if you're making one a year there's a sameness to them a lot of times which is not a bad thing but I like that all three of yours are very distinct so how did you come up with your ideas for your other two trying to think that was so long ago like dog prom so easy because you're like dogs tuxedos it's great let's see my second year film was nine and counting i knew i wanted to do something more like action adventure but like my version of action adventure because just personally i'm not going to do like a really cool fight scene because that's just not my skill set but it stemmed from like i've always loved egyptian things and then just kind of thought about cats at the same time well like egyptian things egyptians like cats and then you start thinking about oh cats have nine lives back to Egyptian things where they have like a culture of the dead and whatnot so it just kind of grew from there yeah (laughs) I don't know it's like very stream of conscious I'm sure like a lot of people are that way too when creating though Mm -hmm. it's like let's put all of our ideas together mix them up here we go yeah (laughs) put in like a little shaker bottle and be like look at my film Mm -hmm. so Yeah, that's kind of where that stemmed from. My third year film, which was titled Red Plus Blue, actually made a live action version of that with people, not dinosaurs, obviously. (laughs) At UCLA, we have to take one live action film course. So the last assignment was doing like a short film. And this is like old school film. So we did it without audio at all. And I was just thinking about colors and whatnot. And I love parties. So it kind of stemmed from there. And then when it came to my third year film, having to come up with something 
mean, I was really struggling for like what to make. And then last second at UCLA, they have a Matt Greening fellowship where you submit film ideas and then he'll fund it, but they have to have, you know, a social message to it. So since I was still kind of figuring out what I wanted to do for my thesis film, I was like, oh, maybe I could do red plus blue, but animation because it just seemed like a more animation friendly concept. And they also announced this fellowship and it had to be due in a week. So yeah, I did like submit boards like super quick. So I just kind of retooled it for animation. And it was really fun to make. That was one that I actually co-made with my roommate, Kim. But it wasn't my favorite film to make because while I made it, I was working at Nickelodeon. So it was kind of hard because I was like, oh, I have a job already. Yes. Like, <laughs> It's like, hooray, I'm working. Hooray, short. Same time, no same Yeah, I always kind of joke that I'm like Red Plus Blue is my film that I made for money. So <laughs> like I started off with Dog Prom, which was a heart-filled passion project. And my thesis film was because I needed new equipment. So yeah, which I'm still happy with how it turned out. I definitely like pushed animation and whatnot, but it's kind of funny, the progression of that. So... <laughs> But yeah, I definitely like, I don't know, when you're making your own stuff, you always want to try, like the reason why they're so different, quote unquote, is just trying to learn different things about making films and also storytelling. So that's kind of why they ended up, even though they're all animal films, because love animals. So let's now talk about your internships. Yeah. Because you've had several. Let's discuss. How did you go about getting your internships? Yeah. So going back to my year off in between undergrad and grad school, one of the big things I learned in undergrad was the importance of internships because I only did one and I was like oh that helps you a lot with getting a job afterwards so in my year off on top of doing all the research for what type of grad schools I wanted to go to I did insane research on different studios and that was just through looking up one artist I really liked on LinkedIn to see their whole list of jobs and then on the side has a bunch of different artists that are similar so I just kind of went through this it probably took me like a week but just went through this huge LinkedIn search just to write down all the animation studios that are out there because most people when they're starting out are like, okay, there's Disney, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network. But when you do research on just artists that you like, you realize a lot of them have started off at smaller studios, which, you know, have more opportunity. So generated this huge list of 100 plus studios just in California alone. And then from there did big theme research on all the companies just to see, did they have internships available? What type of work they did? Did it fit into what I wanted to get out of my career, etc.? So that's kind of how I found out about different internships. So that when I went into my first year, I knew exactly where I wanted to apply. Not that I knew exactly like the best things to put into a portfolio, but put out a lot of applications hoping for one because that's all you need at the end of the day is like one yes. So yeah, that's kind of how just learning through undergrad internships are so helpful and important. So that's something I really emphasized all through grad school is trying to get as many internships and experiences as I could. As many people would let me through the door. <laughs> and you interned at Binto Box, Titmouse, and Nickelodeon. Yeah. So what were some of the differences? Because obviously the Awesomes is very different from China, Illinois, which is very different from Wally Kazam. Oh yeah, so, radically well, different. <laughs> yeah. So how did you adjust between working not only at different studios, just different types of shows. Yeah, definitely the first two studios I worked at were more adult animation geared. And the one at Bento Box I had was through the TV Academy, much like Sarah. Mm-hmm. And when she mentioned that, I was like, oh, I did that too. <laughs> so they paired me up with Bento Box. And that internship actually ended up being very similar to the Nickelodeon 
internship where, yes, you're working in animation, but you're paired with a production team. At least that's how it was for my semester. So I got hands-on production experience as well as doing a little bit of color correcting in Toon Boom just because the Awesomes was so short-staffed that they needed someone and I was being paid, so it was all good. <laughs> and then at Titmouse, that was a further descent into adult animation because I worked on China, Illinois, but I also worked on a few other like shorts that they were doing and they got like super adult and that's when I was like, yeah, I like kids stuff. <laughs> like I'm a kid at heart. So that's when I really geared towards, okay, I really need to make sure that um, my applications to like Nickelodeon Cartoon Network are a little bit stronger than what they have been because all throughout my time in grad school, I was applying to Nick and the bigger studios just to hopefully have a chance of getting that experience. So, but after Titmouse, which is a great studio, it just wasn't a great fit for me, which is another great reason why to do internships to learn how the different studios are like. And then if you don't like it, rather than when you get a job and then find out, oh shoot, I really don't enjoy working at this place. And then at Nick, after going through doing two different internships in adult animation, and then also hearing multiple no's from Nickelodeon, I kind of took a risk and was like, I'm just going to gear my whole application towards that I want to do preschool. In part because I love preschool and that's kind of my style, but also I kind of figured that not a lot of people want to go into preschool. They're more interested in 6 to 11. So I thought by hearing my application towards wanting to work in preschool production that I might have a bigger shot at getting it. it might help me stand out. So yeah, that's kind of what led me through. And then landing in preschool, it's a lot of fun. So <laughs> definitely landed in the right place for me personally. That's smart that you tailored what you were doing. Yeah. That's actually something that I don't hear a lot about. A lot of people, they're shooting for the stars to be sure, and you should, and they're all aiming for, you know, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, mm -hmm. Nickelodeon, Titmouse. They're all aiming for these giant studios, and they're just sending everything they have without thinking about what type of show. Yeah, there's so many, like, different variation and variety out there that, which in part by doing a few internships, that's how I kind of was like, hey, I should assess, like, what direction do I want my path to go? Because there's so many paths to choose. You think you choose animation, and you're like, sweet, I know what I'm doing for the rest of my life. The further you get into it, you're like, wait, there's, like, a lot of different routes I could take. Absolutely. And not only with genre, but just with jobs. Like, animation doesn't just mean animator. Mm -hmm. Do you even want to draw? Because there's also production. Do you also, like, audio because there's audio engineers yeah. there's so many there's so animators. many jobs <laughs> mm -hmm. and usually in school you learn animator mm -hmm. and dev and they don't really talk about other things a lot of times yeah that's true across the board for a lot of schools yeah. so yeah again stress internships they're so helpful and important mm -hmm. so let's talk about wally kazam yeah show was adorable. Yeah, it was so fun to it. work on too. Let's chat about it. <laughs> I came in on Wally during the latter half of their second season as an intern in spring 2015. So they were still, well, for the animation pipeline, I think they were done writing scripts, but they're still creating animatics and the board artists were pitching their first passes at the episodes. So I really got to see the full experience. On top of that too, I got to see post-production since I was at the latter half of season two. And at Nickelodeon, they have a lot of different internships, but I landed a production internship so they really like bring you on board with the team and Wally was great because they really gave me the full like I got to see everything I got to do a lot of practicing of like taking notes so I really got to see how the whole show was created 
Yeah, and then luckily I got offered a PA position at the end of it, which my internship definitely lended myself towards rolling straight into that. What tips and suggestions do you have for people to get hired? Because that is its own hurdle of, I am in this internship, I really want to get hired. How do I make myself stand out without constantly being in people's faces? But at the same time, if I'm not letting them know I'm here, then they'll forget that I'm here. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's a concern that a lot of interns have. So how do you bridge that yeah I think the first thing to go into like any internship is like don't expect a job out of it and this is true for networking too like don't expect anything from anyone I'm your friend but really I just want you to get me a job like people can smell that from a mile away so I think that's one big thing like for any internship whether you're at Nickelodeon or even like a small studio or even if you're at a coffee shop work your hardest but don't necessarily expect for like something really big at the end like the opportunity you have to learn everything in the internship is the gift itself but with that to make yourself stand out for say if a PA spot opens at the tail end of your internship I think one big thing is like you mentioned you don't want to be like so over eager that you like creep everyone out at work I mean it's just the balance of like just checking in with your production team if you're an internet Nick at least just being like hey I'm here I'm available like do you guys need anything on top of that too like you know get to know everyone that you're working with and form relationships that's a big thing too because the end of the day we're working like 40 hours a week you want to work with people that you like and actually care about so you want to definitely ask them for work but maybe also ask how their week was how their day was and then tied to that too some people are very introverted some people are very extroverted so just be yourself throughout the whole process too don't feel like you have to like conform to a certain mold or whatnot but yeah that would be my advice for if you're navigating a production internship and then on top of that whenever someone teaches you how to do a task or whatever always have a notebook and write down the notes so that you know how to do it people aren't going to be mad if after they've taught you if you're like hey I'm not sure but you know take the initiative to try and learn everything that you can as well as you can and then once you master that for me at least I'm always like I want to do it it's always a game to myself at least when I was working in production to do things as fast as I could but also as high quality I never sacrificed quality for speed but that was I know one thing that lended me towards getting the PA position was that I was a quick learner and once they taught me how to do something I was wicked fast at everything so but in part because I kind of made it a game because I was like oh let's see how fast I can do this I like it. <laughs> but never sacrificing quality because like yeah. people won't care if you're fast if it's not good yeah. so you're quick but it's bad like, yeah you don't want to do that you want to quick and great or a little bit slower but still great yeah one. yeah for doing the quick stuff that was more for at least on Wally we had to do like frame counting to make sure like when you put in the animatic for shipping overseas they wanted to make sure that the program matched what was in the animatics and it was a matter of like doing a bunch of adding on the calculator stuff so that's like where I was this is kind of boring let's see if I can do it a game to see how fast I can go through it but making sure quality so let's then talk about shimmer and shine yeah once Wally was wrapping up you had opportunity to go over to Shimmer. Yeah. So how did you get that opportunity? As Wally was wrapping up, that was also at the same time that Shimmer went from 2D slash Harmony platform to going completely into CG. And because of that, the network wanted to bring in CG people because running a CG show versus a 2D show is very different. Because of that transition from 2D to CG and then Wally wrapping up at the same time, 
they brought in a lot of our higher ups from Wally onto Shimmer to help run things and kind of navigate that transition. So they brought on the line producer from Wally. His name is Ian Murray. And I had worked with him as an intern and as a PA. And like a month before my PA job on Wally ended, a PA spot on Shimmer opened. And because I'd worked with Ian, he offered me a job on Shimmer and I gleefully took it because it's awesome when you don't have to apply. <laughs> yeah, that's how I navigate from Wally to Shimmer was just through, you know, people I worked with. And then also showing that I was a good worker that people liked working with and I did good work because there are other PAs on the show too. Very good. So then how did you go from PA to story revisionist? Because that is a dream of many. To yes. <laughs> PA to either production coordinator, production manager, producer, or story artist or a character designer or whatnot. Yeah. As I always joke, they're like, no one's a lifelong PA. <laughs> oh, it's always, they love being a PA and they always have their eyes on the next path, whatever direction that may be. Yeah. So I think part of that was from my internship interview, they always ask like, what do you want to do? in five years and I was very clear I wanted to be a storyboard artist just through making so many films at school and going through that whole process I was like I really enjoy the storyboarding like that's the part that brings me the most joy that's probably what I want to do but at the same time you are given an opportunity to interview for a production internship you can be very honest that you want to be an artist but also emphasize that you want to learn the production side of things because coming from school into production is like totally different but I think with my internship everyone knew that I was interested in boarding so that was already kind of out in the open. And then when I got to Shimmer, a month after I started, there was an open spot for a revisionist position. And I did not even think to apply for it. But one of my friends who was a coordinator on it, she kind of pushed for me to just at least try and, you know, just ask and see if they would let me test for it. And luckily, my production manager said, yeah, you can test for it. So it was through my friend who was like, hey, you draw cute things and you want a board. You should go for it. I think you're ready, even though I didn't think I was ready. <laughs> So yeah, I did the test for that and did not completely know what I was doing because it was like my second test, but somehow the directors kind of saw some potential in that and also just from working with me. So I didn't get the position, but I was offered the opportunity to do freelance for Shimmer. For like four or five months, I was doing freelance revisions for when things got super crazy. I would do revisions at night for Shimmer and then come back to Shimmer. <laughs> just lived in Glitter World. I did that for a few months and then eventually I was offered when a full-time position open as a revisionist they offered it to me so backtracking a little bit two weeks before I was offered the revisionist position a coordinator position opened and I turned that down which was really hard because I was like what if in six months I'm the dummy who's like still a PA and haven't landed you know a revisionist spot but I just kind of went with my gut being like hey they're giving me revisions and they keep on giving me revisions if they didn't think I was good they're not just going to give me work just because they're like oh I feel bad for Lauren like let's you know <laughs> give her some stuff so I kind of went with my gut and was like I can't give you guys a year commitment to being a coordinator that's not fair to the team I think by that action just very clearly showed my team on Shimmer that I was committed towards being a revisionist and not just hanging around in production you know then coincidentally two weeks later a revisionist spot opened and they're like you know what you clearly want this and it's working so we'll take a risk on you yeah I love that yeah that was so great and that's a tough decision oh, because yeah. you're looking at greater coordinator position obviously they know that you can do a really good job, pay is better, mm -hmm. more responsibility, deeply rooted in the team. That's a tough thing to do to turn that down for the thing that you really want when it's right there. Yeah. No, it was tough. Luckily, doing freelance revisions, that kind of was like, well, 
you know, clearly I'm doing something right if they keep on giving it to me. And then on top of that, when I was both on Wally and on Shimmer, the different coordinators I worked with, you know, they showed me their job and what they do. And I was just like, I like being a PA. I don't love production enough to get that much more commitments, you know, and responsibilities. So that kind of helped too, where I already kind of knew like, eh, I could do the coordinator thing, but my heart's not in it. So, I mean, that helped too, just by working with awesome people who showed me the reality of being a coordinator is so that the, the money side of things didn't tempt me. <laughs> so now let's talk about being a revisionist. Yeah. Because that can be different things at different places mm -hmm. and for different shows. So what specifically do you work on as a revisionist on Shimmer? Shimmer, that's also changed within the year that I've been doing revisions. Initially, I was the floater revisionist, which meant I worked with every team. And then we have, so Shimmer has in total four revisionists. Three of them are attached to one director because we have three directors on our show. And then there's the floater, which is this awesome position for like starters where you get to work with everyone, work on every episode. So that was the spot that I got. And so being a revisionist on Shimmer can mean I feel like we do multiple things. Sometimes it's just changing like, oh, their hands in a weird position, change that. But a lot of it's like adding an acting pass. Sometimes it's completely reboarding something. Because with Shimmer, things are constantly evolving with our scripts and whatnot until it's out the door. And sometimes decisions aren't completely made from the get-go. So the episodes are constantly evolving until there's literally no more time. So a lot of it's acting. Sometimes it's, since we're a CG show, we have models of all of our sets. So sometimes it's just throwing in the 3D set behind the boards just so it's a little bit more clear to our overseas studio where the camera is. And then sometimes it's reboarding because sometimes the episode's short or sometimes things are just not working. So sometimes it's just completely redoing everything. And that can change because I was the floater revisionist working with different directors. They each had their own approach. One was like, here's the notes, go for it, have fun. If you have questions, ask me. While other directors redlined everything and were very clear about what they wanted. So, which both had their pros and cons. But now I am one of the, as of a month ago, now I'm attached to a director. So now it's like, here's the notes, go for it, interpret that. If you have any questions, ask me. That style of doing revisions requires a little bit more thought. And I'm very thankful I was a floater at first just so I could kind of learn what being a revisionist was before I had to do like thinking all the time. And then one more thing for Shimmer is that we do BG maps, which are when we ship an episode, it's creating this top down view of little dots for each character, the camera and the set. And then you just for every shot, create like a guide essentially for where the camera's placed and where the characters are. And it's a guide for our overseas studio so they know exactly how to set up each shot because they have a very limited amount of time to animate the show so anything you can do to help them out and also make it as clear as possible that's really good and is that a typical thing for cg shows to have those types of maps have bg maps there i know it's different for cg shows like show to show on wally we did it but it's also the same crew of people kind of you know show running both wally and shimmer i know at dreamworks some of the shows that are in cg their bg maps are done by their animation team because um each show has a few animation artists so kind of depends on show to show it's kind of as you know funny as you get into animation each show is run so differently this is true because I, I think I've mentioned this before but I remember thinking when I came to Nickelodeon it's Nickelodeon yeah. and it just has many shows and they're all run the same yeah like different rooms in the house that's not how it is at all. no it they're just, each their own beast <laughs> and it depends on how long people have been working there how long they've been at Nickelodeon if they came from other studios because if you come from another studio you have your own way and then you have Nick's way if there is even a Nick way and it all melds and then who's mm -hmm. 
team and then just what the show needs. Yeah, and then also teams are always wanting to try out like something new if it works better because yeah. they're all about creativity here even mm-hmm. if it's within like production realm too. And we've had that too where it's like, hey, you know what works? This. Let's yeah. try this. And then it does work and then it's like, hey, we now have this way to do it. Yeah, or sometimes things don't work and then you're like, cool, I know that now. Yep. Let's figure something out. It's so. Never again. Yes. <laughs> But you don't know unless you try. So. This is true. I mean, the whole thing is just what works best mm-hmm. and then what works best for each person and then what works best for the team overall because in the end, you're just trying to get the show out on time. Yep, and on budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on time. And, hey, if you can get your show out on time and on budget, that's, that's key. You know, that is absolutely right. Speaking of the show, too. So you've now worked on both preschool and adult shows. And we've talked about this before off air, just about the differences in terms of getting those shows together and notes and whatnot. And I just want to know if you're able, if you can talk about that a little bit, because I think people would be interested in knowing that part of it. Yeah, preschool has, FYI, if you work in preschool, be prepared for so many notes. <laughs> Both because you're working for a younger audience, so sometimes it's like we have our adult brains that are fully formed, but sometimes you have to realize this is for four-year-old kids who need to explain things very clearly. So sometimes it's that, but also we get a lot of network notes. Sometimes it's, you know, ties into making things more clear or that things aren't quite as scary because you don't want to scare little kids. At least Nickelodeon doesn't. But then also, this isn't the case as much on Shimmer, but on Wally, we had so many standards and practices. Whenever they got on like a bike or they had to have a helmet, if they got in the water, they had to have a life vest. And then if you're working in preschool, if you work on an education show, then the notes get even more insane because you have to make sure that everything that you're teaching is the correct way so on Wally at least we had a linguist who would be like oh we have to do a retake of how one of our voice actors pronounced something because like the n isn't correct even though to everyone our crew were like that sounds like an n to to us but (laughs) to someone who is very educated and knows their job there's something off about it so while in adult animation I don't feel like there was nearly quite as many notes notes were a little bit more technical and For both of the two adult shows that I worked on, that was more towards the post-production side of things. So it was like getting animation back and realizing, oh, that poster changes color like scene to scene. We need to fix that. So it was more technical notes rather than like standards and practices or making sure that your show is working for the audience that it's at. That makes sense because I think of adults and we're not trying to teach them anything. Yeah, no, it's it's just entertainment. Like if they want to ride a bike without a helmet and they get hurt, well, sucks for them. Yeah, they should have known better. <laughs> yeah, they should know better. They're good. For kids, like, no, 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 no. And also, don't run with scissors. Yes. And also, that knife, that knife's too sharp. Butter knife. Yes. Those Crayola scissors that don't cut. <laughs> Well, and with preschool, too, sometimes things that seem really funny but are putting your characters in danger. Although to us, we're like, there's no way that they're going to be in trouble. They're A, cartoons, and B, like, sometimes you, like, set up something comedic effect, but smaller kids will get really concerned because these characters are real and alive to them. So it just requires you just to kind of think through, like, different humorous situations just a little bit differently. So they're a little bit more tame, but you can still be really funny even within a tame environment. So That's true, because I think back to when I was a kid, and I thought... I thought Kermit was real. Never mind the fact that he's a frog made out of felt. Yep. 
and there's a word for this, but there's that disconnect you have or that awareness that you don't have until you're about four to six years old where, yeah, they're a cartoon character, but they're still real. Mm-hmm. You know, Shimmer and Shine. Yeah, they're cartoons, but they're real. Yeah. And SpongeBob is real and Kermit is real. And I've even heard kids here at the studio or talking to their parents saying, what is it like to work with these characters? Because in their mind, it's almost like they're at the desk next to yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're on the show, but clearly you're working side by side, right? Yeah. <laughs> it comes later when you realize, no, this is a creation mm-hmm. of somebody. Well, that's a good point, because I know for our show, we have similar, not to the same extent, since we don't have like necessarily the educational component, but there's still the thing of imitatable behavior. Yep. It's just making sure that if this is imitatable, are they safe? Are they making sure they're not doing anything that's too dangerous where they could get hurt, and then in turn, a child imitating it could then also potentially hurt themselves. Yeah, it's definitely possible. So that's kind of why you end up getting a bunch of notes, but you you learn to work around it. It's Although people complain about the notes, it's like, no, it's an opportunity to do something different and maybe even better. So Well, you can find comedy. It's like, okay, since they have to have this helmet or they have to do this, what is a fun way right. to show this? Or if there isn't a fun way, well, let's have a fun way in this other scene mm-hmm. where they're not wearing a helmet or doing whatever they need to do. Yeah. yeah. And along those lines, too, of different things, what is it like working on shows that have a 2D pipeline versus a CG pipeline? Um, I feel like it's hard because since I my 2D experience was like just in post-production, so I didn't really get to see the pre-production side as much, but from what I can gather, a well, just from post-production alone, like doing retakes on CG is really expensive because you have to render everything out and whatnot, while for 2D, it's like, oh, you just change the color paint bucket, you're done. If you change anything for any shot within CG, like that's just a lot of time and money, which, you know, you're trying to make a show like as well as you can, but every show has a budget. And I think the biggest thing too is when you're working in a CG show, at least from the design side, there's only so many props and characters you can build with how our contracts are set up with our overseas studio. They usually have a limit for how many props and characters and sets you can have per episode. So I know 2D has it, but like CG is just to another level because for designing for 2D, you just have to do the black and white drawing, clean up, color, done. For CG, you have to do the design color, but then on top of that, you need to model it, if it's character, rig it, texture it. It's just like a few more steps. So I feel like that's a big difference between CG and 2D. But then on the flip side in CG, you have the freedom of the camera to do whatever. So you can do that in 2D, but I feel like easier in CG. Yeah. Yeah. You just sweep in very, okay, we're gonna draw all of these angles from this perspective. Yeah. It takes a little time. (laughs) Just slightly. Yeah, CG can take a lot of time though too, because I like what you said about building everything because I think of you know like turds you have to populate mm-hmm. everything you can't just draw in the characters like no they have to build it and you have to rig it and doing simulations on different things yeah. and that just takes time yeah it's just a little bit more steps with CG but then you get some pros too so and ultimately the show is going to tell you like what type of medium it wants to be in mm-hmm. so Shimmer was it initially was 2D but the show is just screaming to be CG just because A everything's so intricate so those like patterns to draw over and over were difficult but then also I think through the first season from what I heard they just really wanted to be able to move the camera around and do fun things like that and I've seen it since they moved the camera a lot which is great mm-hmm. because they have them on the carpet flying around and they just have all these scenes where they can go through the air and they can do all these different things and I imagine to draw that in 2D it can be done and it's been done but that would take yeah. a lot of time. a little bit more difficult for like 2D TV production mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. So let's then talk about being a board artist, doing story. You mentioned that you took classes not only at UCLA, but the Animation Guild to improve your skills with figure drawing to work on things you want to work on. Now that you're doing story revisions, what are some suggestions that you have for people that they want to do what you're doing? Basically, how have you been able to, you know, do your job in like the day to day? I think the biggest thing I wish I would have been told from the get go, which I didn't get told until I was working at Nick, was to really nail down your fundamentals. So especially for boarding that's like perspective and figure drawing just so you're able to communicate your ideas clearly. I think doing film studies too, whether that's actually like drawing out the squares on paper and studying composition or even just exposing yourself to more like different types of films because I don't know if you're like me but I really liked animation growing up and that's kind of all I watched but coming out here I'm like oh there's like all these older films to watch and then also newer films that you know everything does a little bit differently so just expanding your film knowledge knowledge. But yeah, fundamentals are like a huge thing. That's something I'm still always working on because the human body (laughs) is very difficult to draw. But then for getting like a revisionist position, I think the biggest thing, especially even though I did like freelance revisions, is once you get into your day job, just like the speed you have to draw it once you're in-house is so fast. So I mean, doing a lot of gesture drawing is great for that just so like can just really get the pose and the feel. And then on top of that, learning how to draw different types of characters characters and whatnot and being able to both turn them around but also get like good expressions and line of action with it which I feel like for me at least it just comes down to doing figure drawing because that's how you really learn how to pose and express the body. I agree with you on that and I like what you said about film studies because me growing up it was all 80s action adventure sci-fi movies and Uh cartoons and so the hardest thing for me a lot of times was how do you make a scene interesting when they're talking Mm -hmm. and they're not running and they're not fighting a villain and something magical isn't happening. How do you just make that interesting to look at? Yeah, make it engaging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you don't just want to have two shot, two shot, two shot, over mm-hmm. the shoulder shot, and you're going, all right, <laughs> 10 minutes of that. Yeah, so fun. <laughs> <laughs> And now let's talk about your personal projects, because you also do a lot of cool things outside of Nick, including Papercraft, which is fantastic. Oh, thank you. A little bit about that, because if you haven't seen Lauren's site yet, you need to visit her site, because you have done all kinds of designs with that. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Paper cutting just started as, I guess my mom scrapbooked a lot when growing up, so I was just around a lot of papercraft stuff, but during college, I just kind of started as a hobby, essentially, of just doing paper cutouts, because like it just felt very natural to me and then it was also nice because during that time I was also starting to build my portfolio for UCLA so I was so intense and focused on like one thing so it was kind of nice to have a side art thing where like you know there's lower stakes to it so it was just a little more experimental and free form you need to overthink everything which then ended up being like it's just very relaxing and it's so fun like collecting paper and matching it together and then when I moved out here during CTN there were a few paper cutout artists Alicia Gibson is the main person I talked to but I showed her some of my work and she gave me some good tips like for anytime you do a cutout if the paper's white on the inside just making sure that you color that white so that you know you're not like that looks nice but I see a white rim around everything (laughs) so honestly it's just kind of a hobby on the side I don't think I could do it full time and it's also a fun way to do fan art too and I learned at UCLA I'm not a painter (laughs) so like doing paper cutouts is my form of painting so to speak because it's just about like creating nice shapes and textures and composition and whatnot 
whatnot. It's kind of like a stress reliever. I agree with that because painting is beautiful, but... Yeah, I'm so astounded by people who can paint really well. My brain just does not work that way. It's either like drawing and like very loose sketchy or doing shape-driven stuff. But when it comes to painting, I'm just like, what now? (laughs) (laughs) Brain does not commute. Such a respect for everyone who does, though. Oh, yeah, all of you out there that can paint. Move yeah, you guys are respect. amazing. You, you amaze us all. <laughs> One of the reasons I pick boarding is everything can be in black and white. Right? <laughs> I can do that. All right. What are some of the other projects that you have going on right now? Yeah, so all throughout school, I was like, I want to get a job at a studio and eventually a revisionist spot. Like, that's what I was working towards so hard. And now I've reached that. So I always kind of joke, I was entangled when Rapunzel's like, I've got my dream. Now what? Yeah, dreams are great. I kind of use this analogy. They kind of provide the roadmap of being like, for me, if I was moving from Minnesota to California, I'm like, I know where California is. So that's the dream. But creating specific goals to kind of creates that like roadmap so that you can reach California. It's awesome to have dreams but you also need to create goals and whatnot so that you can achieve those dreams so that's where organization kind of adds in otherwise you're just kind of aimlessly wandering and a lot of that sometimes it's creating big goals sometimes it's creating small goals like I'm gonna do figure drawing once a week because sometimes like big goals seem really daunting but actually it's a bunch of little goals that you set up that guide you towards there that is true especially if your goal is I want to work in a television show or I want to make a television show or I want to make a movie it's like that's a big goal to say Mm -hmm. I want to make a show little goal is like you said figure drawing learn how to draw yeah (laughs) and then go from there yeah working on my day-to-day job I know I constantly need to be working on like gesture drawing I try and do that once a week and then right now my side project so to speak it's not like a comic or whatever but it's just trying to figure out how I want to orient myself because the further you get in your career the little bit more locked in you get potentially so I'm like trying to I'm taking as many classes as I can so like right now I'm taking Steve action adventure boarding class just so I can learn more about that and then I'm planning on taking like another boarding class that's more like tv comedy focused so it's just trying to figure out what direction I want to orient myself and just learn about all the different genres of boarding because I feel like once you kind of like narrow down what you want to do so for storyboarding then you feel like that's so focused but then you're like wait but no there's actually like feature boarding action adventure and comedy and preschool so and through classes for me at least I know some people are like oh I can work on my own but for classes this has always been the case it just really shows me like either I get really into it I'm like okay I'm following the right path or eh, not for me like now I know so that's kind of my side project right now is figuring out what way I want to orient myself so I can create like a five-year goal while always working on my fundamentals because that's a lifelong journey and I'm glad you mentioned fundamentals because that's a lot of times something that gets missed it's almost like I don't want to eat my breakfast cereal I don't want to eat my veggies I want cake it's like (laughs) no you need to focus on this because it'll make everything better yeah it just helps with you like be able to communicate things better but on the same time too I think it's important to be creating your own work and whatnot which I guess I'm kind of doing through creating my own personal board stuff I mean there's so many comic creators and people make short films on the side so I feel like getting a mix of everything is always good that's good and I like that you're taking various storyboard classes too because that's the other thing this career can be very thinly sliced Mm -hmm. it's not just oh you're a board artist it's what type of board 
hours. Yeah, all you've done is worked in preschool, and now you're, I don't know, in preschool at least, like, people get really concerned about being pigeonholed Hmm. into preschool, so I know a lot of my friends who are earlier in their career, they made sure, like, sweet, landed on a preschool show, I'm so thankful, but also, like, unless you are really gung-ho for preschool, you can get pigeonholed into it. But I think that's true for any genre. Throughout any part in your life, it's really important to kind of be aware of who you are and, like, what you want to work towards, because otherwise, you know, outside forces will force you into a path. That is true, because I remember talking with Steve Vaughn earlier, and that was his thing, was he started off doing comedy, and so he was getting really good at comedy, and he didn't want to do comedy I had no idea. Yeah, he was working on all these comedy shows, and he really wanted to get into action and adventure, and he had to essentially quit his job and then take the turn to get into action and adventure, and he had to learn a lot of different things. So it's true, depending on what you want to do, if that's what you want to do, stay in it and do it, but if it's not, you're right, you should be taking other classes, you should be letting people know you should be working on your personal projects to show but I can also do this yeah because a producer they're looking for roles to fill so if they know you can do preschool or like action adventure or comedy they're gonna be like sweet they don't know what you're capable of until you show what you're capable of so you need to be dedicating a certain amount of time to what it is you actually want to do yeah because I feel like if you put in the time and effort you can accomplish whatever your goals are and some of that's just you know process of learning and taking classes to figure out what you want but just being aware of what you want and where you want to navigate your career I think is important well I have to say I think out of practically everyone I've ever spoken to I think you are one of the most organized people that I have <laughs> it's ever the production experience it's fantastic because it's just had a goal researched here's the goal <laughs> I think it's just research do your research and study and learn and you can figure it out and Google is your best friend oh yeah Google and LinkedIn. Yes. You can learn so much. <laughs> Meet all the people. So Lauren, if you were to go back in time and talk to young Lauren, who's in college, or maybe she's about to go to college, or even maybe still in like middle school, high school, what advice would you give to your younger self? It's hard because there's advice where I'd be like, just go with your gut. Animation's the right thing. But at the same time, I'm really happy with who I am today and the people I've known and met. So I don't know if that's necessarily the best advice for like high school me, but I think overall just have confidence in yourself. It's okay to be self-critical, but also have confidence with your journey and where you're at and how much you've learned and realize like, yes, you do have stuff to learn, but you've also learned a lot. So I feel like that's the biggest thing. Like, yes, maybe like listen to your gut a little bit strongly, but just have confidence in the path that you're doing and what you're learning. Yeah. That is excellent advice. So Lauren, where can people find you online? I'm really active on Twitter. You can see a bunch of pictures of my cat, Griffith. (laughs) My Twitter is Lauren Krieger, and then I also have Instagram, so fortunately that's not the same because another Lauren Krieger took it (laughs) before I signed up, so my Instagram is Lauren Krieger Art. And then I have my website too, but like that's not as fun. Social media-wise, those are like the places I'm most active. Very good. Well, Lauren, it has been absolutely wonderful having you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So much for sharing your wisdom about preschool and adult shows and all the different studios you've worked with and advice and not being afraid to let people know, hey, here's what's going on and being organized. I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's awesome that your podcast really shows everyone like there's so many different journeys and paths to animation. So thank you as well for creating this awesome podcast. You're welcome. Thanks to everybody who's ever been on the show and everyone who will be on the show at a later date because your stories matter. You you guys are all awesome. Everybody's awesome. (laughs) Just like the movie says. And that concludes our episode with Lauren Krieger. Special thanks to Lauren for being an amazing guest and make sure to check out all of her sites in the show notes. 
And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to leave a review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more people to find out about the show. And you can also support the show by visiting theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal button on the right-hand side. All of your donations help to pay for technical costs. And thank you so much to everyone who has donated. We truly, truly appreciate it. And make sure to check out our sponsors, Loot Crate, Amazon, Audible, and Blueberry Podcast Hosting. Every time you click on the links and make a purchase, a little bit of money comes back to the show. And thank you everyone for supporting the sponsors because that helps us out a lot. And I want to give a shout out to the fine folks that I met at Loop de Loop and all the wonderful people who have sent us so many nice emails. I read every single one of them and I write back to every one of them. So if you haven't gotten a response back yet, it is coming soon. But I just want to say it truly means a lot. You know, it's kind of weird sometimes working on a podcast because it can feel like it's kind of like a bubble. Jeff and I were sitting here, we're talking, and then we'll talk with our guests. And it's just us in a really nice room with a microphone and a laptop. And we know it's going out there, but it's when you guys email us and when you send in donations and when we meet you in person and you know how to pronounce our last names, <laughs> that's how we know that you're listening to the podcast because we have last names that are difficult to pronounce. So... It just means so much that you guys like the show and we enjoy creating it for you because when we were in school, you know, there really wasn't a whole lot out there in way of pertinent information that was current. And all we wanted to do was just know what was happening and what was out there. And it was find folks like the Animation Network and the Ink and Paint Girls podcast and Rubber Onion and all the other wonderful podcasts out there that clued us in as to what was actually going on in the industry. So we're really happy to be able to share all the information that we have with you guys. And we're trying to, you know, we're still working. We're still trying to get to the level where we want to get at. So it's not like we've arrived either. We're all just <laughs> working together toward trying to get to the goal. So I just say all that to tell you guys, we appreciate you. And just thank you so much for appreciating what we do too. And... You can also find out what else is going on in the wonderful world of animation, all the events that we talked about, all the different things going on by checking out our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, it's theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And to see what I've been up to lately, you can visit my website, at sketchysoul.com, on Tumblr, it's sketchysoul.tumblr.com, and on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at sketchysoul. And also a reminder, I will be at the Ground Zero Animation Expo, which will be happening June 9th and 10th, so make sure to get your tickets for that. They're going to be announcing all of the panels and all those wonderful things soon, so looking forward to meeting all of you then. And Jeff, where can people find you online? They can find me at jeffbot.com with one F, and they can find me on Twitter, my handle's jeffbot, one F, and Instagram, shootzee, S-H-O-O-T-Z-E-E. And until next time, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.